Hi, welcome to Matters of the Heart and Soul. I'm your host, Janie Charlotte. Matters of the Heart and Soul is a podcast to raise awareness and awaken humanity to all that is within. We want to be a beacon of light on your life journey. Welcome back to Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. This is Russell Bruce, and today we did something a little extra special. Uh, I've been researching my ancestry and ran across some very interesting information, and it sent me down a rabbit hole that um, at this point I can't close it. What can you say? Um, Most of us here in America as black Americans carry... Scottish and Irish surnames and many of us you know believe that we came over here from Africa as slaves and that these names were bestowed upon us by our slave masters well I'm here to tell you we found out something that's a little different well the Scottish were the ones who were sent over here as indentured servants and um it was the Portuguese, the French, and the Spanish that started off the slave trade or exile and say religious dissidents or criminals or people who they just felt added no social value. So there, there's a lot more to this story. And I mentioned that it's just one of those proverbial elephants you can't eat in one setting. You have to take it in small chunks. So Today, I did a, uh, a show titled Black Irish in America Roots Revisited. So check it out. Share it with friends and family. Uh, Thanksgiving's coming up on us. This is going to have Thanksgiving take on a whole new meaning for many. Talk to you later. Welcome to another edition of Matters of the Heart and Soul podcast. This is your host, Russell Bruce, and today I'm coming with another special edition that may turn into a series because this is this is one of the elephants, this proverbial elephant that you can't eat in one sitting. You're going to have to break it down into many little different meals in order to digest it going to try my best to make it short or keep it 30 45 minutes if possible uh, so that I don't overwhelm you with this information because it is a lot of information to take in I'm going to leave some resources some receipts so that uh, you may uh, at your leisure follow follow up on some of this stuff to to make sure it's right and exact so today's topic is going to be Black Irish in America, and I'm sure that sounds kind of weird to most of you. In the subtitle, Roots Revisited. All right, and why I'm doing this particular episode is I'm gonna I'm let these guys kind of break it down first, and then I'll I'll, I'll come back and, and give you a little bit more. Let's do this. Let's jump right into it. And <clears throat> this gentleman here is. Mr. Lee Cummings, who is, matter of fact, let's do this. Let me share my screen first. Otherwise, you guys aren't going to be able to enjoy this information. And let's see what we have here. All right. 
All right. So once again, this is Mr. Lee Cummings. He's the author of the book series, The Negro Question. And his background to make it short, he was an international, well, he is a pro basketball player that traveled around the world. And he starts stumbling upon a lot of this information. And it, it caused him to dig deeper, start doing research. And now he's an author and a speaker on this topic. And uh, let's just jump right into this real quick. This give you a gist of what it's going to be about. And uh, I promise you're going to enjoy it. It's either going to irritate you educate you is going to do something like the thing is in our society too many people are into being entertained and educated and i think this episode is going to be an eye opener and hopefully we get something out of it and i uh, can't wait to get some of the feedback let's jump right into it and let's see what we have here mr lee cummings mr will uh uh, uh 90 90% or 94% of the names All right, the there we go. the last name came from the slave master. But you got to watch it. Watch it. So you go, you go back and look at the 94% of the last names that allegedly came from the slave masters, and guess what they are? They are either Scottish or Irish. What do we know? We know that the Scots were not involved in the slave trade, nor were the Irish. So, wait, 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 all right so basically what he just said <clears throat> is that over 90 percent of black people's names especially those who can trace their ancestry back to the uh, eastern seaboard to the 13 colonies they have scottish irish or welsh names and if you go back 16, 1700s, they weren't doing the enslaving. They were the ones who were being sent here to America as exiled prisoners of the religious wars that were taking place or just those who they felt were unfit for society, etc. So if you if you look at it, it was the Spanish, the Portuguese, and French that started off the slave trade. So if we were taking the names of these slave masters, we would have had Spanish, French, and Portuguese names in the 13 colonies. Now, Louisiana and Texas, a little bit different. This right here is pretty much tied to those who were living in the 13 colonies. So that part is going to be very important as we go along. So... I'm going to keep moving forward here for the sake of time. And I'm going to jump into another gentleman here who kind of piggybacks off of this same topic, so to speak. Bear with me. This computer does not have the processing to keep up with what I'm trying to do. And as you can see, Janie's name showing up and I didn't correct it. So I apologize for that in advance. Once again, my name is Russell Bruce, 
not Janie Charlo. So, all right. So let's go back here to the beginning of this guy. He kind of gives more insight into King you James. He decided to write his own Bible. First, you have to understand the person. He was a king of Scotland first, and then he became a king. This is very important. Listen in. Scotland, Wales, and France. Spoiler alert, he was a black person. So I'm going to give you that heads up so you are forewarned before we jump into this message. This is King James and what he looks like. This is out of one of the books that he wrote. It's called The Works of the Most High and Mighty Prince James by the grace of God, King of Great Britain, France, and Ireland, Defender of the Faith, etc. And he published this book in 1616. It's his own book. And in his own book, he put an image of himself. And if you take a look at that image, you'll see from the complexion that it's a dark-skinned person. So this is his own book, his own picture that he put in his own book. So if anyone tries to dispute the fact that King James is a dark-skinned complexion person, looking at the picture from his own book that he put of his own self, then there's something wrong with that person's vision. Another spoiler alert that I want to warn you about before we jump into it, I'm going to discuss where King James is from now in Scotland. And for anyone, once we get to the map, anyone who sees their family name or their surname on that map, it means that you are a direct descendant from Scotland, especially if you're a dark-skinned person, what we call in our time a so-called black person. So if you're dark-skinned, brown-skinned, ruddy-skinned, as what we call black in our modern time, and you see your family name on this map, be warned that you are a direct descendant of Scotland. And when I say you are a direct descendant of Scotland, I want to make it absolutely clear exactly what I mean. I do not mean that a fair-skinned, pale-skinned complexion person got a dark-skinned, brown-skinned, ruddy-skinned complexion woman impregnated, got her pregnant and then gave her child the family name because the original name was with a fair-skinned, pale-skinned complexion family. That's not true. I also do not mean that your family line took the name from their slave master. That is absolutely not true. Those two explanations that were given to us growing up over the years in our history classes and our history lessons, and even within our religious studies. That is absolutely not true. That's a lie. So now that I've gotten the deceptive psychosis out of the way, I've cleared that out of the way, now I'm gonna open it up to the truth. And the truth is in England, Ireland, Scotland, and Wales, and all over Europe, majority of the people that were there were dark-skinned, brown-skinned, ruddy-skinned complexion people. Focusing this on Scotland, where we're going to talk about King James. In Scotland, majority of the people, whether they're highlanders or lowlanders, were of dark-skinned complexion. They migrated from Europe into North America and the Caribbean. 
A lot of them came as indentured servants, seven-year indentured servants. Many of them came as political prisoners, the rebels, because they were given problems in Europe. Some came as criminals, vagabonds, because they weren't part of the elite, the bourgeois structure. So they were spirited off, kidnapped, and taken into the Caribbean and North America. But that's the lineage of your family. Don't believe me? Let me prove it to you. All right. So he, he went through those lists pretty fast. I'm going to provide you the link so that you can research them yourself. The first one was a map of Scotland, Ireland, and you can actually Google, uh, say, Scotland surname map. And it will show you what part of the land, whether they were low landers or high landers. And when you start running across some of this history to make more sense, then you'll start to see a lot of the names of, of people that you know here in America. And once again, we always thought that they came from slave masters, but such as myself, when I, I study my ancestry, I can go back into the 1700s in uh, Hardy, West Virginia, and I could clearly see that my my relatives who were enslaved or indentured at the time, they were enslaved to a family with the last name of Von Meter. All right, and and there's a whole story to that because they left them with a lot of land. And, and I'm going to cover that shortly. Let's go to this book. It's called A Description of the Western Islands of Scotland, written by M. Martin. On page 239, on the right-hand side of the screen, let's read together. They're talking about the inhabitants of that island, and it's the island of Jura. Let's see what's on the island. The inhabitants are all Protestants, meaning they're not Catholic. They're against the Roman Catholic faith. Protestants are people that were protesting the majority of Roman Catholic religion that was dominating Europe. Let's figure out what the people on the Jura part of the island look like. The natives here are black of complexion, let me repeat that. The natives here are black of complexion. They speak the Irish language and wear clad. Anywhere in your modern time where you see people wearing clad, and they're mainly Caucasian people, fair-skinned, pale-skinned complexion people, wearing clad is their traditional outfit. No, it was not. It is part of your original custom that was assumed when he got swept out of Europe. So All right. So he's mentioning the dress with the plaid or the kilt, the kilt. Remember the kilt and remember the Egyptians wore the kilt. Connected dots. So let's back out of this for a second here. So um, I mentioned that I shared the same ancestry with Harry. Matter of fact, let's pull him up here. Let's go to Google. 
So Henry Louis Gates Jr., a lot of you are probably familiar with him. Once I pull him up, you probably remember his face. Henry Louis Gates Jr. All right, so Henry Louis Gates Jr. is a uh, Harvard Law, not law school, but a Harvard professor. And he has helped plenty of famous people find their ancestry. Now, there there is several things that I kind of disagree with him on. And I've actually reached out to him. I'd like to have a conversation with him, not only about our relatives, but I have some questions on some other things. He seemed to be a pretty brilliant guy. So I'd like to just pick his brain because there, there, once again, there are some things that he talks about that I don't 100% agree with, but I had a question to see if he could answer it for me. And it was tied around the indigenous Americans because he shot down plenty of uh, movie stars who whose grandparents told them of their Indian heritage, right? And he shot down pretty much all of them and told them that most black people think that they have Indian heritage when in fact they only have 1% of Indian DNA. <clears throat> but part of that may be the fact that the Indian came from the African and not the other way around. African people were the first people to inhabit every continent on the face of the earth. And what we refer to as the Native American Indian, the Mongoloid, uh, and hopefully that doesn't offend anybody saying Mongoloid, but they were a mixture of the indigenous Africoid type here and the Mongoloid to produce that dark-skinned Native American Indian that we refer to as Native American Indian. But the more you dig, you'll find out the average Black person that's walking by you today can trace their ancestry back hundreds of thousands of years here in the Americas, whether it was in South America, Mexico, here they find pockets of them still there. Uh, you know, after all the wars, the trail tears, a lot of people have been moved out of the land, but Black people were already here in these Scottish and French and, and Black Europeans, along with white white uh, Europeans that came to America, have pretty much amalgamated in, into, you know, one another for the most part. But the, the Black Scots and Irish who came to America, Jamaica, et cetera, a lot of times you've seen where they would marry into the families of the indigenous people because it helped them with trade, you know, and then also the indigenous people knew more about the land. So let's continue here. So once again, this is Lewis Gates Jr. And we share the same ancestry. So he kind of mentions it in, in some of their articles, right? So a lot of times when I was Googling his Bruce ancestry, because I always heard him mention that I kept coming up with the same people here, Joe and Sarah Bruce. Those are my ancestors. Those are his four time great, great grandparents. And they're also mine. Henry Louis Gates Jr. also penned Oprah Winfrey's ancestry book. In her book, he mentions my four time great grandparents. 
and I kind of find this interesting what he mentions in here. And this is another thing I would love to talk to him about. So in here, they're talking about these last names. So once again, you know, we were told that all of our ancestors came over here on boats from Africa. And I'm going to show you something else later. There's a site you can go to slavevoyages.org. And people were getting paid off of these slave voyages. So it was well-documented names, you know, in some cases when the rebels were shipped, uh, I'm going to play some video clips of Brother Curry Mayo. He'll actually show those lists. If not, I'm going to also give you guys the links. You can go out there and see like the Jacobites who were shipped over here in 1745. It described them. It was clear. It gave their height where they were from over in Scotland or, or in Great Britain and, you know, where they were shipping them to, what boat, what ship they got on. All this was well-documented. But here, I'm just not sure why Henry Louis Gates Jr. is kind of questioning where the Bruce name came from, but that's either here or there, but let's just read this. Let me make this a little bit bigger for my eyes here. Come on, Russ, let's get back to it. Here we go. All right. Given the difference in the sizes of the samples among these studies, and given that the Mill study was of slaves who had been recently freed, her study is the most relevant of the three of the three for those of us searching for our slave ancestors through the 1870 federal census. In other words, if you are fortunate enough to find your ancestor in the 1870 census, there's a strong probability that if you look at the 1860 federal census for a white slaveholder with a slave surname living in the same or nearby county of your ancestor, where your ancestor was living in 1870, your ancestor may have been the property of that person or one of his or her relatives. Now, once again, that may be true a lot with French names and Spanish names and Portuguese names. But when it comes to the Irish names, it's slightly different. The Scottish really didn't get involved in slave, slave trade till later on in the 1700s. And I know for a fact my ancestors were already here because I could trace them back to 1765 uh, in Hardy, West Virginia. And I think I know who their parents were, but I haven't sealed that yet. That's why I need this guy. But they were definitely from Scotland because I have older relatives who talked about their Irish relatives. They knew about them. So there are exceptions to this general principle in my own family, for example. And see, once again, this is an Oprah, Finding Oprah's Roots. This is an Oprah Winfrey's book. These are my ancestors they're talking about. There are exceptions to this general principle in my own family, for example. And this is Louis Gates Jr. talking. A white slave owner by the name of Abraham Bond Meter freed Joe and Sarah Bruce, my fourth great-grandfather and grandmother on my mother's side. And this is actually on his father's side when I look at the lineage, so I'm not sure why it says that. And their children in 1823, Bond Meter and his wife, Elizabeth, gave hundreds of acres of land, a grist mill, a house, livestock, cash, 
and all the household goods. Nevertheless, the former slaves did not take their surname. So right here, they did not take the Von Meter surname. Otherwise, my name would be Von Meter. My name is Bruce. They used the surname Bruce. Another family freed by the Von Meters used the name of Gray. And while we have other theories about this, we're still not sure why. So we must be careful not to presume a relationship simply because of the similarity of the surnames. On the other hand, the odds are strongly in favor that a black family named Bruce, for example, took that name at some point from a white family named Bruce who owned them. Even if we don't know when this assumption, and see, this is a whole bunch of assumptions from a guy who's super sharp, I don't understand this. And it's only an assumption and it's quite useful for you to start. And I can understand why he's telling other people they may wanna start there on their own journey into their ancestors' slave past. And even if you must use it cautiously, you know, because the thing is, it's like, we need to find out what was going on in the world in the 1700s, right? So I can go back to the 1700s with Sarah and Joe. So this document here is, this is coming out of Oxford, right? And this is a pretty prestigious document. And this is a firsthand account of what the world looked like in 1751. Benjamin Franklin is titled Observations Concerning the Increase of Mankind, People of Countries, etc. 1751. So his concern is like pretty much the concern of you or some of the elites today that we're overpopulated. And I think a lot of it is the fact that the majority of the world is black and brown, black, brown, and yellow. So that raises a lot of concerns because they predict by 2050 that white European descent people in America and in Europe will become a minority in both places. So this is in 1751. And Benjamin Franklin's talking about, you know, marriage, you know, amongst the people, uh, like what they like to do, because he's pretty much trying to figure out every year how many people, like how fast they're going to grow. So he had concerns. So you can read this at your leisure. You could Google this, by the way. It's out there. It's in books as well. But you could just Google Benjamin Franklin observations concerning the increase of mankind. And this chapter down here is what I find important. All right, so he's doing all this observing. So listen how he describes the people in these countries that you wouldn't even think were predominantly black and brown. Okay, so he says, which leads me to add one remark that the number of purely white people in the world is proportionately very small. Like right now, it's about one-tenth of the world's population. They predict by 2050, one-third of all people on the planet will be Africoid. And we'll say Africoid instead of African because we were everywhere. So even though Africa is the throne of all humanity, we were everywhere. When man migrated out of Africa, he settled every continent on the face of the earth. There's proof of the Grimaldi in Europe in Scotland, 40,000 years and beyond. Facts. They're digging up all the art, 
everything from masks to little statues to skeletal remains, Africoid. The Twa people were there, little short Twa people. That's why when you see the Jacobite uh, rebels who were brought over here, they averaged probably about five and a half feet in, in height in the 1700s, in 1745. So here we have all of Africa is black or tawny, Asia cheaply tawny. So in the 1700s, you could probably look these up now. They're probably pretty close, but when you see swarthy, swarthy means black or dark brown, and tawny means brown. So I guess I would be considered a dark brown. So I would be swarthy or right in between swarthy and tawny, right? So America exclusively. So let's go back. I'm talking too much. Let me, uh, I'm excited, guys. All Africa is black or tawny. Africa cheaply, or excuse me, Asia cheaply tawny. America exclusive of newcomers, wholly so. So he's saying America exclusive of the white Europeans who were coming in over at this time in the 1700s. He says, exclusive of them, America is swarthy and tawny or black and tawny. So that's black and brown. And in Europe, the Spaniards, Italian, French, Russian, Swedes are generally of what we would call swarthy complexion. Look up swarthy. And also look up what that word meant in 1751, because a lot of times, like the New Webster's Dictionary, a lot of these get changed around. So. And they get changed for a reason. As the Germans also. So he's saying the Germans were also swarthy. It says the Saxons only accepted, only accepted who with the English make the principal body of white people on the face of the earth. I could wish their numbers would increase. Once again, I could wish their numbers would increase. And while we are, as I may call it, scouring the planet, which they were scouring the planet, they, they were trying to conquer the world at this point, by clearing America of its woods and so making the side of our globe reflect a brighter light to the eyes of the inhabitants on Mars and Venus. So he's literally saying we should clear the woods, clear America of woods, so that it will reflect the bright, brighter light in the eyes of the happening to Mars. So he wants it to shine all the way to Mars and Venus. He wants to get rid of all the dark brown folks and make it lily white so it can shine to the people in Mars and Venus. Now, if that's not racist, I'm not sure what it is. Why should we, in the sight of superior beings, darken its people? Why increase the sons of Africa by planting them in America? where they have so fair an opportunity by excluding all blacks and tawnies of increasing the lovely white and red. That speaks for itself. But perhaps I am partial to the complexion of my country for such kind of partiality is natural to mankind. All right, so that's what the world looked like. So he's pretty much telling you, and when you study his history, Germany, France, Italy, it was predominantly brown and black people because the Moors were everywhere. And even prior to the Moors, 
you had different waves of Africans that migrated up into this particular area. Most Caucasian people come from Caucasia. That's where the name comes from. And if you look at a map, let's do that. I was trying to keep this short, but there's almost no way to do it. Let me close out some of these. All right. So let's look at map in Africa, in Europe. This is for anybody that may be somewhat geographically challenged. Yeah, let's see if I can get this right without having to make too many adjustments. Yeah, I can't get a bigger version of that. But anyway, so that I'm not wasting too much time, when you get a chance, Google, and basically what I'm trying to show you, like this is Africa. And then you have like Italy, France, you know, and Spain, and then you have Ireland, Scotland, all the way up here. But this particular region was inhabited by Black people. Now, this is not talking about superiority or anything. People back during this time, prior to, say, late 1700s, early 1800s, race was not an issue. Race was not an issue. The problem in that area or the world during this time was based upon religious belief. The Roman Catholic Church was dominating the world and trying to conquer the world at that time. And there were even Black Romans involved. I'm talking about, I don't have enough time to talk about all this in one. Once again, I'm going to have to break this down into bite sizes. But over here is where Russia and the Caucasus Mountains and so forth are. This is predominantly where the white people were in predominance. Now, some of them may have found their way down here earlier. But you hear of them trying to make their way into Rome, Scotland, more so around 400 AD. And you historians out there, chime in, send comments, correct me if I'm wrong, but based upon what I'm finding, they were latecomers to this area. And I like to uh, read a lot of Professor Boyd Dawkins' work. And you can see I was already looking this guy up. Professor Boyd Dawkins talks a lot about early man in, in Britain and in Scotland, our earliest ancestors. These are good reads. Let me see if I could find. All right, so let me share what I have here on Mr. Boyd Dawkins. Sharing my screen again here. So Boyd Dawkins has some great info once again, but in here he he wasn't afraid to to tell the truth. A lot of times you have professors who 
you know, could lose their tenure, you know, probably have their lives threatened for going against what the establishment deems necessary to tell the people. Like, for example, with archaeology, you know, a, a lot of times when it comes to ancient history, they want to just sweep it under the rug. Like there are thousands of pyramids throughout the Americas, North, Central, South America. There's more pyramids in the Americas than there is in Africa. But a lot of times grass grows over them. And and I know where one is located here and they they cover it up. And I actually heard them say they, they turn them into garbage bins or what have you. Just, you know, so people don't even dare go research, but you can clearly see there's a step pyramid uh, over here in Smyrna, Georgia, right? But anyway, that's the story for another day. Um, so this is what Professor Boyd Dawkins mentions in this book. There's a lot of good gems in the book, but, you know, this is just something I happened to see and did a screenshot for the sake of time. In Scotland, the small dark Highlander, and they say small. Remember, the Twa people were very short-statured people. They were like 4'11", 5 feet average height. But you figure by the time the 1700s roll around, they mixed in with the Moors and other uh, African uh, groups that had migrated into the area. There were about seven waves of Africans that migrated into the area, you know, over the past 40 to, say, 100,000 years, right? So... Uh, in Scotland, the small dark Highlander and Ireland black Celts. Yes, the Celts were black. You know, you, you have a situation where the Celt uh, cross is pretty much identical with the Hebrew cross. So somebody needs to explain that connection, right? All right. Uh, in Ireland, the black Celts to the west of the Shannon still preserve the Iberian characteristics. Once again, Iberia is over in Spain, that's where the Moors kind of set up shop, you know, and were there for, for the most part of 800 years. Not only there in Spain, though, they were throughout Europe, but predominantly there in Spain. So anyway, you can read the rest of this. And some of these, like even the, uh, the, the, the screens where he was showing the the rebels who were brought over on the ships, the Jacobites and those uh musket rolls just go back through the video and pause it and take a look at it and see if you could find some of your ancestors out there you know you'll see a lot of names that you're familiar with a lot of you may be checking your genealogy and you go back to the 18 1700s or even the 1600s if you're lucky and you're stuck and you just think that they came over on a ship from africa when they actually may have come from Europe. The majority of the people here, I'm not going to say the majority of people here because the majority of people were already here. They brought people in from Europe. Most of the, the slaves or servants or even political prisoners who were sent here, and, and some of them never went into servitude, who were sent here came from Europe. And, and predominantly, Scottish and Irish. That's where our names come from. Bruce is a Scottish name. But, you know, uh, I'm going to show you something here because it actually show you how the names change as they migrated, right? But some of the, the customs, clues, all the linguistic evidence, all they the just did in secrecy. Geographic, genetic, you basically put everything together 
And this is what we've been doing, right? And you see, I didn't know this book existed. This is Brother Curry. When I already was starting to understand and think of Scotland and, and its uh, uh, past and its people there, some of its people. And this book is correlated. This person had the same thought. She's been able to prove it to these people's uh, ancestry and all these uh, records that she has, all right? And the uh, person who's writing the book with her. It says, in some cases, this is no problem. Certain of these families are, are Jewish and can document lineal descent from Scott's forebears. But in most cases, we're going to have to finesse this conclusion by looking at the overall pattern of evidence for that family, including the associated lines of marriage preferences. The form I had marriage preferences in Louisiana, South Carolina, they were doing this, staying in the family circles. The formal term for this branch of science is statistical appearance of demography from DNA sequence data. We continue in the book when Scotland was Jewish. This is chapter three. Just want to show you again brief uh, parts of this book. So genealogies of the first wave Jewish families, 1100 to 1350. The previous chapter on DNA that we were just talking about uh, basically went through a what they did test on a lot of these people's descendants uh, with the names like Kennedy, Cohen, Bruce, you know, Stewart and all that. They were coming up Sephardic region, Iberian, Mediterranean and all that. They were correlating with people in France, Germany, all over the world. Brazil, Canary Islands. Now, this is genealogy. And this is just an example. It says here the Bruce, the Bruce surname. The Bruce family of Flanders in Normandy entered England in 1050. So they're Flanders, Flemish, right? Normandy people as part of the entrance from Duke Richard I, the family remained in Britain subsequently to the conquest of England by Richard's son, William the Conqueror, in 1066. Now down here it says, our research questions whether the Bruce family in England and later Scotland were practicing Jews as well. As their genealogy shows, several Hebrew Mediterranean given names are found among the early Bruce's. Among these are Adam, Emma, Isabel, Agnes, Agatha, Fania, David, Matilda, and Eleanor. All right, now, in the last paragraph of the Bruce's, remember it says that this lineage together with the DNA evidence of Southern French or Spanish Jew is origin for the Bruces, all right? Spanish Jew, remember, very dark-skinned people, the origin of the Bruces strongly suggests that this family was aware of its Judaic heritage and chose our marital partners and given names to sign to perpetuate this heritage. When Bruces from Scotland arrived in the American colonies during the 1600s and 1700s, the marital patterns of at least some members suggest that the crypto-Judaic practice had been carried forward to the new world, crypto-secretly. All right, now it's showing four. All right, so that was my family lineage, Bruce. All right, so a lot of times when people hear of Europe, Scotland, Britain, they immediately assume that these were all white people, but you have to remember the Moors were all throughout Europe and there were the Twa was there prior to the Moor. So, but I'm trying to use receipts showing um, other scholarship out there where this stuff is documented. This isn't anything I'm making up. And once again, I stumbled upon a lot of this information just researching my own family lineage. And while researching it, you know, there were just a lot of questions. So I kept digging and the more I, I seemed to dig, I would find more information. So we we hear of these people migrating in from Spain through France and, um, you know, eventually into Ireland, Scotland. But prior to them even coming to Spain, they came from Morocco and the Mediterranean. 
And it, it goes back to the Egyptians. Um, there's another part of the video where he speaks how, you know, this Hebrew ancestry goes all the way back to Egypt. This particular person right here is a person of interest because she is the daughter of Pharaoh Akhenaten and his queen Nefertiti. Uh, Skoda is where Scotland supposedly got its name. When uh, Akhenaten uh, was in Egypt, he was known for bringing monotheism into Egypt. He was the first pharaoh to unite upper and lower Egypt. Like the north was practicing one religion and the south was practicing another. Um, and he came with a religion to unite both of them. So he was said to have brought monotheism into Egypt. The same thing that they accredit Moses with. So most of you biblical scholars out there, you know, you accredit Moses with, you know, bringing monotheism into Egypt, but the time frames were identical to that of this Pharaoh. That's why I always found it interesting that you can never find a burial site for these prophets in the Bible, but you could always find an Egyptian Pharaoh, a king or a queen. You could find their bodies because they buried their dead. And I'm sure the rest of them buried their dead, but it seems as if the names were changed. And I'm going to give you a book here in a second after I get done telling this story. But Skoda, when um, Akhenaten, he eventually, uh, you know, it wasn't well received that he was trying to unite Upper and Lower Egypt and come up with a monotheistic religion. And uh, I think he even had some issues with family members, including his mother in reference to it but eventually he was run out of Egypt and that's where the story of Moses leading his followers out across the Red Sea you know in in the Red Sea from what I understand is questionable matter of fact Billy Carson did an excellent video the other day called uh the the black Ethiopian Jews so look on Billy Carson's forbidden knowledge uh youtube channel he did an excellent video on it and had a lot of receipts matter of fact he just did a trip back to egypt and it took a lot of people over there with him and he gave a lot of receipts of where he was pulling his information from just so they didn't take it down with all the hype that's going on with Kyrie and kanye and uh you know he showed the information where they did put it under review but based upon he put all the receipts where he pulled the information from, you know, there wasn't too much that could be said about it. So you want to check that out because it ties into this story. So this is Skoda, once again, where Scotland gets his name because she actually migrated to Scotland. You know, you'll hear stories also when Yeshua was being persecuted uh, Mary Magdalene and the rest of the Gnostic followers of Yeshua, eventually they fled into France and different parts of Europe as well. So, you know, and would they flee there if there weren't people there that looked like them? The same thing when they talked about Yeshua fleeing into Egypt. Would they flee into Egypt if there weren't people there that looked like them? Would Moses be able to sit in, in Pharaoh's uh 
in Pharaoh's place if, if he didn't look just like him? You know, come on. And see, these things are, these are thousands of years old. This art is thousands of years old. Now, whether the paint wore off or somebody tried to, to lighten her up, we still know who she belongs to. You could just look at the features, the hairstyles. This is definitely an African princess. So this is Skoda. I'm going to share a couple other photos here as well. So here, let's see if I can go this way. This is her parents. So this is Akhenaten. And this is Nefertiti, her mother and father. All right. And this lady right here is Akhenaten's mother, Queen Tai. So this is a replica based upon her mummy, as you can see here, and a head bust that was created of her. This is the predictive view of what she would have looked like thousands of years back. And, you know, if you were to Google on YouTube, a lot of times, like for Skoda and for Nefertiti, you tend to get these Renaissance period pictures where a lot of things were just whitewash. Jesus went from black to white. Um, not sure how many of you are familiar with the Shrine of the Black Madonna, which is symbolic to um, Jesus, baby Jesus and Mary. Let's take a look at that. And last week I posted a, uh, there's tons of photos out here with the Pope kneeling and praying to this shrine of a black Madonna. What is it about the Black Madonna that they know that they're not telling the rest of the world? You know, why is it that the rest of us, even in a lot of Black churches, we tend to have this Eurocentric version of Jesus, who was actually the Pope's son. Most people don't know that. You should Google that story can't remember the post name off the top of my head so forgive me for that but i'm sure you could find it this stuff is not hidden most of this stuff is hidden in plain sight people just aren't looking most people just accept what they're told instead of seeking the truth and the truth is out there so you know not only is this a pair, picture of uh the black madonna let me not pull up that video i didn't mean to do that but there's also, here, let's see. So these pictures are a little bit more close. Like, look at it. What does he know? And how come the rest of the world doesn't know? How come we weren't taught about the Black Madonna in our schools? We're given a white version of Jesus and Mary. So this is, is pretty much with everything in history after, at the end of the Renaissance period. You know, there's, I've even seen photos of a black Michelangelo. So 
It's like this this story and rabbit hole runs very deep. Uh, gosh, there was something else I wanted to show you guys. But all right, so let's continue on. So I wanted to keep this short once again, because I told you there's just so many different parts to this story that we could do. So let's look at some more of the family names uh, in relative to the Black Scots here in America. Because, you know, if your last name, uh, I'm going to just throw some names out there. There's a ton of them out there. Matter of fact, I'm going to do it one better. While this is loading, while this loading, I'm going to do something else here. Let's do this. And you guys could do the same thing. So you can go to Scotland surname map. Here you go. In these surname maps give you the lowlands and the highlands. And you can see some of these names out here, like Forbes, Leslie, Duncan. This isn't a clear one. Like here's a Bruce here. I think there's another one up in this area somewhere, but you'll see a ton of Storts here, right? So the Storts are the, the family members of King James. So they were in both the highlands and the lowlands. And you'll see Scott. So if your last name is Scott, when you start tracing your lineage, your people may have come from this area. So these maps will become very important. If you're looking for your roots and you're getting stuck and you're thinking they came on a ship from Africa, start checking over in Scotland if you have these names. Like this area, you'll see a ton of Macs. Like Mac is kind of like the Moses name. Mac is like son of. So if you see Mac Clains, son of Lane or son of Lean, McCampbell's, McDonald, and so forth, McDuffie. And uh, so you'll, you'll see a lot of that. You'll see some Johnsons, Montgomery's, Duncan's, Gordon's, Grant's, Frazier's, and so on. And these, for the most part, are noble. These are people of nobility. So let's let's do this. There's still some good stuff I want to share with you guys here. So let's jump into this guy. We got him by a black Scotsman. All right, you hear what's going on? We propose that many, perhaps most, present-day Scots are descended from the same types of ancestors who produced these personages. All right, so who came out of who? Right. Further, we suggest that their forebears were Mediterranean Jews from France, Spain, and Portugal. All right. Mediterranean Jews, people of color, Moors. All right, so the book actually uh, breaks down some important famous people in Scotland's history and uh, proves how they were, you know, Sephardic, 
of Moorish ancestry. All right, we're not gonna get all this, but like I said, this was an age when Celtic culture was an eclipse, but it was a time that saw the mass expulsion of Jews and Moors from Spain due to the Spanish Inquisition. All right, so it's breaking down how they arrived there, uh, these people's ancestors into Scotland. Uh, the commodities, Richard Oran, for example. All right, so let's talk about him and how he was saying that he was a descendant of King David. Uh, but actually, but it says here, it says, as we shall argue, this did not come about randomly, but resulted from the Scots royal family believed that they did, in fact, descend from the Jewish King David. We will argue that the family was Jewish patrilineal ancestry in faith, but of Western Sephardic rather than Semitic, all right, and Middle Eastern genetic descent. They were Sephardis, all right, not from the tribe of Israel specifically, all right, not from King David himself specifically. All right, so they start breaking down. Here's a whole... Uh, genealogy family tree so right here this part before we continue is uh talking about this person became a very important trade merchant and how this town uh became a place of trade uh, it says here that in 1378 master mason john lewin was hired to refurbish the walls of roxburgh castle around 1400 a parisian master mason jean Moreau more was commissioned to enlarge melrose abbey all right, so let's jump into some receipts. I think I missed the part that I was looking for on that one. But let's jump into some receipts. And as you can see, a lot of times the pictures are always going to be, not always, but for the most part, which is misleading, we always see cartouche pictures of Caucasian people, which is kind of disinteresting to somebody who's seeking out their lineage. Like, for example, if you're taking a picture, a group picture, and there's 10 or 100 people in the picture, and you're in the picture, and remember back in the day, the instant Polaroid camera, right? You know, you take a, you take a picture. You know, let me zoom back in so I can see you guys. Where you at? Where you at? All right. All right. A little technical difficulty, but anyway. I don't want to hit that little one. But anyway, you take the picture, and the first thing people do is they tend to look for themselves. And if you don't see yourself or you're not looking the way you probably wanted to look, you're kind of disinterested in the picture. But definitely, if you don't see yourself, there's no connection to it, right? So I think that's what happens a lot in history. We we don't see ourselves in the history book, so to speak. It's not getting ready to change anytime soon. So if you're a person of color and you're trying to find your history, I would say go out and find it on your own because chances of it happening anytime soon is like slim to none. But, you know, there's a great awakening, you know, where people are, are waking up and they're wanting to know the truth, not just about their history, but about everything, because the world's suffering. It's suffering because there's just too many lies that have been told about everything, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, we want it to go back to the way it used to be. It wasn't about race. You know, we don't even want it to be about religion or, or classism or all the isms, sexism, 
you know, we we just need to get back to being human, you know. Like they said, it, if if a species came from another planet, well, they'd probably wipe us out if they wanted to. They would have done it a long time ago. But if you were to travel out to space and they ask where you're from, where are you going to say you're from? You're not going to be like, you know, I'm from Atlanta, from the south side, and, you know, I'm, I'm black or I'm white or I'm Mexican or I'm Asian or I'm Japanese or I'm Indian. Like, you're not going to say none of that. You're going to say, I'm from Earth. I'm an earthling. I'm an earthling. And if you had somebody come from Mars, they're going to say I'm a Martian. We just use too many things to separate us. And, you know, like even like today, today's Sunday, 12 o'clock today is probably the most racially racial divisive time of the week is during church time in this country. Yeah, there's some non-denominated church where you have a mixture, but for the most part, everybody goes off to where their culture is being deified. And in some cases, you have other people who live under the deification of another person's culture, which I've never understood. I always felt that when you look in mirror, you see your savior, you see your God in yourself. You know, Yeshua, who was the greatest example for man, stated that the kingdom was within, so you should see it within yourself, you know, not outside of yourself. And he also said that ye are God's children are most high God. And that you would do greater things than that, that he did because he knew that technology would change, that time would change, and that more people would be adhering to his message. But let's get back to our history lesson here. I'm getting ready to skip that ad because it doesn't buy us anything. But no. this this part's pretty good. Where did it go? Come back. So what I what I was getting ready to show you, and I'm gonna come back to it here. This is um and I want him to tell you that so I don't have to repeat it. And this book right here is written by a a spy that was spying on you know the Scottish mobility. the king and this is how they this actually helped them defeat the scottish and how they end up sending them off so sit back and listen to this part or holy black and the supreme ruler of these became for a time the paramount king of the transmarine scotland we see one of the black people the moors of the romans in the person of king of algon of the 10th century history knows him as kenneth sometimes as dub as a niger we know as historic fact that a Niger Valdu was has lived and reigned over certain black divisions of our islands and probably white divisions also, and that a race known as the Sons of the Black succeeded him in history. All right, so now we're in this book. That was a great find. Uh, it's called Memoirs of the Secret Service of Pay attention to this. Okay, during the reigns of King William. Queen Anne and King George I, including also the true secret history of the rise promotions of the English and Scots nobility, officers, civil, military, naval, and other persons of distinction from the revolution 
in their respective characters at large, drawn up by Mr. McKay, pursuant to the direction of Her Royal Highness and the Princess Sophia. I published from his original manuscript and attested by his son Spring McKee, Esquire, the second edition. And this is printed in 1733. All right. This is the Roman numeral 1733. So this is the author of the book, John McKee, again, with the Oxford Dictionary of National Biography. This is actually a PDF. There's so many volumes, but they have an online version, but you need access to it with a university. But either way, it says that he's a, a writer, a spy, all right, a spy, was a Scot of obscure birth, parentage, and education. He fled from France to London in the summer of 1682 with the first news of the intended French and Jacobite, Jacobite invasion from Lagoon. Again, John McKee, government agent or spy. And this is from the Dictionary of National Biography, 1885, volume 35. All right. Um, he's the author of Memoirs of Secret Services. That's what we're going to read right now. Down here is what I want to read. It says he's the author of somewhat important contribution to contemporary history, Memoirs of the Secret Service of John McKee. So the chief value of the memoirs consists in his description of the leading personages of the period. All right. This is the chief value. All right. Pay attention. We're about to read some deep stuff. So chief value. All right. Is descriptions of the leading personages. The descriptions. That's the value in this. All right. Which evidence both keen powers of observation and great impartiality of judgment. All right. He was not lying and he wasn't trying to, uh, you know, hide anything or had an agenda. He was being true of what he was seeing and reporting. All right. Remember, he's a spy. He has to report what he sees. So we can find this book we're about to read in all the digital uh, archive libraries. This is the New York Public Library, the Royal Collection Trust. They also have a copy here. All right, there's another copy here you can get. It says here, the scripture says, this work has been selected by scholars as being culturally important and is part of the knowledge base of civilization as we know it. And this is the Amazon version. And uh, when you look inside, you know, there's nothing. <laughs> they don't show you. Trust me, there's some deep stuff in here they don't want to show you right now. So I just want to read a little bit of the history of this book before we got into it. Very important. And, you know, I remember he was a spy. He was saying that he was writing what, you know, he was seeing. So we're not going to read the whole thing, but basically the book explains that he found out that they were going to invade uh, London with the help of France or some places. And, 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 you know, he snitched on them and, you know, King William was able to beat these guys, the Jacobites. But we're going to get to some very important parts of the book. All right, so we're going to begin with this uh, person right here, which he's describing. His, his name is uh, Charles, known as the Duke of Somerset, Master of the Horse of the ancient family of Seymour, who made so great a figure in the reign of Edward VI. I remember, these are the people he's spying on. So these are the Jacobites, all right? We're going to go ahead, all right, and get to this part of the book where it describes what he looks like. It says, he is of middle stature, well-shaped and very black complexion, very black complexion, a lover of music and poetry, of good judgment, but reason of great hesitation in his speech once expression he is about 42 years old all right who what is he very black complexion all right the duke of somerset again very black complexion i right? remember this is historically accurate what he's writing he's a spy and he's writing to king william very black complexion the next person uh, we're going to talk about and he's going to describe is uh sydney lord godolphin lord high treasurer a treasurer of England. We're going to go, all right, so it talks about him. It says he has an admirable, clear understanding 
of slow speech with an awful serious deportment. Thus more than he promises an enemy to flattery, show and show, show violence of very hard axis, but that being equally deemed to all degrees of people makes it supportable of a low stature. Then with a very black and stern countenance, with a very black and stern countenance, near 60 years old, all right? He's very what? Very black. All right, the next person here is Daniel, Earl of Nottingham, Secretary of State. It says that he has also the exterior air of business and application enough to make him very capable and his habit and manners very formal. A tall, thin, very black man. He's a very black man, like a Spaniard or a Jew, about 50 years old, like a Spaniard more, or like a Jew, like a more. He was a very black man, <laughs> a very black very black expression, right? To these books uh, by Lee right. Cummings. So, a lot of you've seen his books, you know. All right. So for the sake of time, I'm not going to continue uh, at this point, but you get the gist of it. So that book by John Mackey is a PDF version that you can find online. A lot of this stuff is in the public domain. You can Google it. And uh, once again, that is John Mackey. Here, let's see. See if I can help you guys out here. And you could build up a collection of some very, very good books out here. Let's see. John Mackey. Let's see. So the title of it is Memoirs of the Secret Service of John Mackey. And whenever you're Googling some of these books, you could put in PDF. And um, a lot of times you'll find either some of the book or sometimes the whole book out there. So if you're looking on a computer, I'm going to show you a little hack. If you're in any of these books and you're looking for something specific, like I know he mentioned that a lot of these people were black, right? So you could do control F, type in black, and it shows 30 references, you know, and you can see a lot of times they're talking about different black people. And these were people of very high nobility at this time. And later you find that these are the people who were actually shipped off to America. If they weren't killed, they were shipped off. Uh, when Oliver Cromwell kind of took over and, and came at the Scottish and Irish, said that he killed about 10,000, deported, jailed about another 40,000, but when the war started with that guy, it didn't end for a whole year. So 
And and you read the history of places like Tasmania where they just pretty much went and killed damn near everybody on the island. It's not out of the question that these black nobles and families in Scotland couldn't be moved out of the way. Look at the Trail of Tears here in America with, with the indigenous people. So don't act like we don't know what could have happened to these people or it was impossible. It was not impossible. So anyway, to make a long story short here, this conversation was about Black Irish in America. Uh, didn't have enough time in this video to go into you know Jamaica and Barbados, but there are plenty of British, excuse me, plenty of... Um, Scottish, Irish people in the Caribbean islands, you know, and a lot of them know their history. Some of them don't, just like us here in America. Some people don't know where it comes from, but down in Jamaica, they have Irish town, Barbados, they have an Irish town. So some of these people are well aware of, of their roots. Uh, you also have a situation in, um, you know, like in Jamaica, they love Irish sea moss. Why do you love Irish sea moss? And you're in Jamaica because you can get sea moss from pretty much uh, anywhere in the world. There's more than one sea moss, right? So let's look at one last thing here before I let you guys go. And I really appreciate those who uh, who hung in here and uh, followed this. Hopefully, you're getting something out of it. If you are please leave a comment. Uh, if you don't like it, you just want to troll, don't bother. I'm talking about, you know, if it's not for you, just move on, you know? It's all good. No love loss. We're just seeking the truth, you know? And and if you feel this is garbage or rubbish, or whatever you want to call it, then so be it. So this book here talks a lot about the Black Irish of Jamaica, pretty deep book. And you got to also think like when wars occurred, like when they went after the Scottish and a lot of men were killed in battle. And sometimes, you know, families were wiped out, their, their real estate was taken. A lot of these kids were orphaned. So there's records of them shipping hundreds of thousands of Black kids into the Jamaican in, in, in Barbados islands, right? And there were some also shipped to Virginia. So this stuff is well-documented, you know? So one last thing, all right? I keep saying one last thing, but this is the last thing here. Bookmark this, Slave Voyages.org. This right here has some receipts. So if you go to the transatlantic tab here, and you can go, you know, and look at the estimates. I'm telling you, you have to play around with it to get used to it, but you'll start to find, like it'll show you like where the ships embarked from and where they disembark. Embark meaning where they got on, disembark, of course, is where they got off. And you'll start to find out that the number of people that they mentioned that were involved in the slave trade, like the number of so-called slaves, 
those numbers just don't reflect. And especially when you start looking coming out of Africa, you know, you see a large number coming out of Europe, you know. So if you look at all these numbers coming out of Great Britain, there's about 3 million people here over this time frame. We know early on there were some slaves that were coming out. So, um, but mainly 1619 is the, the year that most people look at for the slave trade. And this thing is pretty neat. You can make adjustments over here. It's not showing Africa here right now, but you can click on some tabs here and you can find Africa. But if you look, you'll start, you'll start to see a totally different picture of what actually occurred and the routes in which these people were taken from. So, so up until say about 1750, slavery, slavery didn't exist in the 13 colonies. And for the longest time, Great Britain was against slavery. And, you know, like we were saying early on is that the the Scottish and the Irish were the ones who were being exiled and taken into indentured servitude. And then you just had those who who wanted out of Europe and wanted to come to America looking for, you know, the promised land, so to speak. And they couldn't afford the the ship fare. So a lot of them would indenture themselves off to, you know, the business because there was there it was a business so you know the 13 colonies you know would take them in to work off their time whether it was four years seven years like if they were criminals in some cases you hear stories where they were given life sentences and that they were given an option to come and say work off of seven to ten year uh, indentured servitude in the americas so that's pretty much how it started out. But later on, say the 1700s, like the mid 1700s and the 1800s, that's when it turned pretty ugly into chattel slavery. And the power structure of Europe and America changed hands. That's going to be another topic because a lot of people are like, oh, Black people were running the world. What happened? Well, a lot of it was Black on Black violence between you know, the Black Brits and the Scottish and the French and the Portuguese, the World Wars, because some of the things we're finding out about the World Wars and real quick, even here in America in the 1830s, you know, if you look at that census and you look at the free Negroes who owned slaves, there were a ton of them in Virginia and Louisiana predominantly. But, you know, because you had the Black French and then you had, um, you know, the 13 colonies in on the eastern seaboard, like when King James and him came over and signed the first charters. And, you know, it started off peaceful. They 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 had charters with the Indians. Uh, I can't tell you off the top of my head where it went wrong, so I'm not going to stumble through that. That, that's going to be something that I'll do some more research and we'll definitely tackle it. Uh, once again, this is a big elephant and you can't eat it in one sitting. But there were a lot of Blacks who had a lot of wealth in the North as well as the South. And uh, 
when it came to the Confederacy, you'll find that there were a large number of Black people. The fact that they own land and indentured servants, slaves, you know, it was a combination thereof. There's actually uh, a book, or it was actually based upon the census that Carter G. Woodson put together because he was actually researching it and, and he put it together. We'll, we'll do uh, another one on that. I actually have that information and, and would love to share it. So, all right. So it's getting a little late here on the East Coast. And uh, hopefully you guys got something out of this, you know, didn't do this to piss anybody off. You know, I haven't sold off running from my African roots and nothing crazy like that. But the truth is the truth because it's true, not because of who says it or not how you stumble upon it or you get it. But, you know, that out of Africa story is not 100 percent of what we thought it was. And even if you look at Alex Haley, this is this is the last thing of the last thing. Keep saying that, but there's, like I said, there's just so much more. Did you know that Alex Haley was sued over the Roots movie, over the docu series, or whatever it was actually called? He was sued because he actually plagiarized from an older fictional novel all right we're about to check out here this is you can google this one uh he was sued for a half a million because they claimed that he only got a million you know how that is for tax purposes probably put it in a trust or a business or yada yada but anyway you can google that read it so he got sued roots was not 100 percent true it was stolen from a fictional novel once again, uh, this is Russell Bruce, Matters of Heart and Soul podcast. I uh, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you later. Peace.